Hey, good morning. Good morning, you guys. Good to see you. Hello. Um, I'm repping the Bengals today. It's Championship Sunday, so um, I got Eagles, Bengals. Who's got 49ers today? Okay, thank you. Hey, I was about to say, if you guys are Seahawks fans, come on now. So, um, yeah, so I got one super exciting announcement for you guys. Uh, next week, February 5th, from 6 to 8, we are doing Ignite. It is Brookview's family meeting. Um, it is a really cool opportunity that we get to come together and just, like, I think family meeting is the best description of it, is that we get to come together, like, as a family unit, and um, like we get to worship with each other, pray together, like, celebrate what we've been doing, see the vision of where we're going, and just kind of, like, hunker down together and just kind of see, like, where we're at as a family and, like, where we're going. So um, it is a really cool time, and I would highly recommend you guys going to it. It is super fun. Um, and last time, I was like, it was like acoustic worship. I don't know if it's going to be the same, but I was like, whew, it was, it was good stuff. So um, that's happening next week. And then at the same time, we are doing a pajama party for the kiddos. So movie, popcorn, it's going to be downstairs. Um, that's super fun to do. So pajama party, pretty epic. So it's good stuff. And then um, we have a communication card that you can fill out at brookview.com. Uh, we just like to hear from you, um, take prayer requests, and also just like hear what's going on in your life. So if you fill those out, um, we'd love to get back with you. And that's all I got for you this morning. And we have Bryce speaking with us today. So I'm so pumped. Thank you for coming, Bryce, and uh, getting on up here. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you today, and uh, I always enjoy being here. Um, I, I want to say thanks to Pastor Jason for inviting me to speak here, and uh, Jen has always been uh, so kind to uh, put all my slides on screen for me. I don't even have to do that. I just have to show up and just say something, you know? Um, Rebecca and the team, I always enjoy the worship here, and of course the sound guys in the back. They are ultimately what make us sound good, you know, don't they? Um, so, hey, thanks you guys. You're uh, faithful in what you do back there too. Um, if we haven't met, my name is Bryce. I am a pastor at Smoky Point Community Church up in uh, the sticks of Arlington, Washington. And... Um, my role there, I was doing pastoral care for a number of years, about 24 years, and then uh, as of about four years ago, I became dean of a ministry college called Reach Training Institute. And uh, we're specifically designed to educate people who wanna go into full-time ministry. That's our target right there. 
And uh, I've got nine students right now. I've got three seniors, six sophomores. And so I do everything from recruiting students to teaching to getting faculty, uh, grading papers, grading papers, you know, uh, stuff like that. And uh, it's been really fulfilling, really rewarding. And um, if you sense God's call on your life for full-time ministry, it's a great way to get your degree, get into full-time ministry at a very reduced cost. It's about uh, 5750 for the year. Compare that to any college around, and uh, that's quite a savings. And our whole deal is for you to graduate debt-free and field-ready. So in the process of RTI, we also put our students into practicums. And so they are getting to test drive ministry in a whole variety of ways. And uh, we try and we, we like to start them out in an area of discomfort sometimes at first. You know, like if they're an introvert, we put them gr as greeters. <laughs> and you know what's amazing to me? Honestly, they enter it quite fearfully, but what's so cool about it is they get involved in it and they begin to really blossom. And they end up really loving it. And, and uh, typically they don't realize uh, on the front side because it's so scary, but man, they end up just doing such a fantastic job. So. I've got students right now doing uh, in community work. I have uh, like three students doing youth ministry. Uh, I have one student that he's in his early 40s. His name is Jake, and he has a gift in preaching. The funny thing is he hadn't even taken a preaching class until now in this term. And uh, I've gotten Jake into about seven Alliance churches now to preach. And uh, he's very well received. And so... I'm really looking forward to Jake just continuing to uh, expand uh, in that gift that God has given to him. And I fully expect that he will be locked into a church one day as a lead pastor and using that gift of preaching. So that's really exciting, really exciting to see. So if you're interested, I have an open house, uh, two open houses coming up. Um, it's on a Tuesday and Thursday, February 28th and March 2nd. And I've got a couple brochures. So if that's of interest to you, just see me after the service and I can uh, give you some of that information. All right. So I haven't seen you guys since 2022. <laughs> yeah. So uh, happy new year. Happy new year. Um, how are those resolutions going? You know, those resolutions you made. You know, I, uh, according to statistics, about 45% of us will make new year resolutions. Of those that make resolutions, about 45% will fail by the end of January. Only about 8% will keep those going. Uh, it's no wonder that Mark Twain spoke with a bit of humor and sarcasm when he said, New Year's Day, now is the accepted time to make your regular annual good resolutions. Next week, you can begin paving hell with them as usual. <laughs> Most of us have probably made resolutions before. It seems the top resolutions usually involve transforming our health, losing weight, getting fit, eating healthier. Uh, maybe just a couple of tips for you. If you're thinking of a resolution, start next year. <laughs> just kidding. Um, they say if you tough it out for 90 days, chances are that's going to be a permanent new behavior. That's kind of cool. Uh, the other thing is find accountability. Some of that will encourage you and challenge you and keep you going. 
Well, we're in this series um, called A Better You, all talking about spiritual transformation, which is a deeper thing than just simply making a new resolution. God wants to change you from the inside out. And I, was, uh, I watched uh, Jason's sermon online last week, and he spoke on the most important command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. He shared that love really is the measure of our spiritual maturity. He said we should define love as agape love. It's God's love in us that's a transforming thing that gives us the ability to express an unconditional commitment of love to imperfect people. That's God's love in us. He shared that loving God and loving people are really shouldn't be looked at as separate commands, but both working together and inseparable. And I have to think, when I am truly loving others, I'm also loving God because I am treating other people in the same way that God wants and does treat other people. And, you know, that's a glorifying thing to God. And, you know, love being expressed is a very transforming thing, and it does make a better you, doesn't it? I'd rather be around a bunch of loving people. That's better than being around educated people, right? Um, man, I, you know, and I resonate with the, the bumper sticker that just says, just be kind. <laughs> you know, love is transforming. And I look at the world around me as I express that agape love. It transforms and it helps me to really gain new eyes to see the world around me in the way that God sees the world. Today, I want to talk about becoming a better you, but come from the opposite direction. What is God's commitment to you? We talk about loving God and loving people, but what is God's commitment to you? And I want to talk about God's unchanging commitment. I think one of the um, huge aha moments in my spiritual life before I surrendered my life to Christ was uh, it, it came from a conversation that my father had with me. And he shared not only the gospel, but he went past that. Not only that Jesus died on the cross for my sin, but he went beyond that. And he said, now, once you give your life to Christ, this is what, this is what Jesus wants to do in you. And uh, that started my thinking uh, even, even beyond. I think before that, I thought that salvation was the finish line. You know, once you got saved, good, you're in, you're going to heaven, all good. But, you know, it's just the starting gate. And that's what I was beginning to understand. Uh, that starting gate opens up a whole new world of adventure and growing and maturing and being transformed by a God who lives not only alongside of you in the journey, but lives inside of you in the journey. And that idea lodged in my mind, and I think that was a very critical thing that eventually led me to Jesus. And I'll tell you why, is because it was not just Jesus saying, well, now Bryce is in the family. Now I can go off to some other stuff that's really important. But now that Bryce is in the family, I'm going to teach him. I'm going to lead him. I'm going to show him. I'm going to share with him how much I truly want him and truly delight in him. And that was something that started to turn some light bulbs on for me. And, you know, with a God that loves you like that, that's irresistible. That's the kind of God I want to belong to. I want to be in that family. 
So today I want to share three unchanging commitments that God has made about you and me. And to unwrap the message, we're going to spend a little time in Romans chapter 8. Um, the Apostle Paul, he, uh, in uh, the Apostle Paul fashion, he often will ask a question like he's in conversation with somebody. Uh, you might say there's an imaginary person he's having a conversation and actually that person is you and I as we read the scripture. And then he comes back with a response from God's view. And so we're going to go through that. We'll be asking some questions and we'll come back with godly responses. So let's begin this morning in Romans 8 verse 31. The Apostle Paul says this, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Right off the bat, he's asking a question. What then shall we say in response to this? Well, obviously, we're missing part of that conversation. But prior, he said something. Paul has been talking about how life is in this world. Um, not only is creation groaning, awaiting the day that someday there will be a new creation, but we ourselves are groaning as we live through this life. I know if I do some yard work and get up the next morning, I'm groaning. <laughs> I don't even have to do yard work and wake up groaning. You know, that's life. That is life. There's suffering. There's hardship. In the day of the Apostle Paul, as he speaks to the Romans, there's persecution. We know the limitations of our human bodies, uh, the battle over temptation, even circumstances of life that catch us off guard. But someday we're going to be liberated from all this bondage and suffering and hardship. Someday our redemption will be complete. And I'll tell you what, we have a heavenly inheritance waiting for us. It's better than the best 401k you can have. Because it's eternal. That's our benefit package. And one day we're going to be with the Lord. We will no longer be facing the limitations of life and the hardships of life but we're not there yet. So Paul's encouraging us to patience and hope. And, and uh, I know that sometimes when hardship comes in life, our quick knee-jerk response is often, why me? Uh, where is God in this? Am I alone in this mess? Is God still in my corner? And yet Paul says this, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, when Paul says that, if God is for us, it sounds like he's a bit uncertain. I mean, we use that word if to express uncertainty. You know, like, if it doesn't rain today, I'll go hiking. This is a good day to go hiking, by the way. <laughs> but actually, when Paul uses this if, it's not a question of uncertainty. It's a statement of certainty. He's saying, and you might put it this way, since God is for us, or because God is for us, who can be against us? Now, how do I know that God is for us? What's the evidence of that? Romans 8.32 says this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? How do I know that God is for me? He demonstrated it when he gave me the best he had to give. He gave me his son 
to be a sacrifice for my sin, to die in my place on the cross, dying the death I deserve. If you ever wonder if God is for you, look to the cross. He's all for you. And if that's true, then it's certainly no problem for God to give us whatever we need in the journey. Whatever we're facing in life, God has paid such a a tremendous price for us to enter the race. He's certainly going to give us all that we need to finish the race. Uh, When I entered uh, ministry years ago, I selected a verse that really uh, summarizes this in some ways, but it was so meaningful to me. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, Faithful is he who calls you, who also will do it. I love that. Faithful is he who calls you, who also will do it. God is going to take care of me. And you know, for all these years, God has taken care of me, and I've seen his faithfulness over and over and over again. He's so good. I do think it's a word we need to hear as God's family today, though it's, it's easy when circumstances come along to get so caught up in our circumstances and easily find ourselves discouraged. And we don't always see what God is up to, but his plans are good and he is truly for you. And ultimately think about this. Can the devil overpower us? Jesus said this, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Can the world overcome us? Jesus said, be encouraged, take heart, I've overcome the world. Can the flesh defeat us? Ultimately, Paul says, the spirit of life sets us free to say no to the flesh. Can circumstances destroy us? In Romans chapter 8, Paul points out that even in difficult circumstances, God has redemptive ability to make something good come out of it. So unchanging commitment number one is this, because God is for me, nothing can stand against me. Let's continue on. Romans 8, 33a, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Now, this is a a question that comes out of the courtroom setting. Speaking of courtroom, how many have been to court? No, I'm not that. (laughs) I'm on parole right now. Just got released this morning. No. Um, Anybody been on jury duty? Yeah. Oh, number you got. Oh, so you know this experience. I, uh, back in like, I think it was like October or November, I got this little thing in the mail. Wonderful card inviting me to be on jury duty. I was so delighted to get it. It's like, I felt like I won the lotto, you know? Well, just kidding. I didn't quite have that attitude. But I showed up and I got chosen. And I was put on a criminal case. In the charge, a man was arrested in Everett. He had about an ounce of methamphetamine and his charge was not only possession, but intent to distribute. And uh, so we heard the charges brought by the prosecution, including testimony from arresting officers. Uh, Even the guy that did the lab work, they send drugs away to get it tested. We heard from all these guys. And last we heard from the defense. Uh, It's a very interesting process. And finally, we had the decision to make as a jury. And we rendered a verdict of not guilty And I know it didn't settle with each of us, but we're working in the system. The prosecution had not 
provided substantial evidence to make the charges stick. Even though probably most of us on the jury thought the guy probably was intending to sell. But you know, um, you can't convict a person on suspicion. And of course, it's these processes that make our system work and protects our system. But I was thinking in terms of this, uh, Romans 8, 33, who, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? In first century Christianity, there was a lot of charges brought against the Christians by the unbelievers. Yet, the charge that the Apostle Paul is referring to is the charge of condemnation due to our sin that would bring that verdict of guilty along with punishment. It's a critical point that Paul's going to make because if you and I are the least bit self-aware, we know that we share that common struggle with temptation and sin. I, I know myself well enough that when I fail spiritually, there's this little voice of conscience that can be a very plaguing thing. But there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Did you know that? There's a huge difference. Well, the Spirit will convict. He'll point out sin, and what He wants you to do is get right with God. And it should lead to confession and repentance, forgiveness. But the voice of condemnation is a whole different thing. The voice of condemnation says, now that you've failed, God no longer loves you. You're no, no longer acceptable. You've gone from the nice to the naughty list. Now God sees you as bad. Have you found yourself going down that trail before? I have to say, if my failures were enough to take me out of my relationship with the Lord, I would have been out of the family a long, long time ago. I love how the Apostle Paul, though, adds this tagline because it's so significant. He says, it is God who justifies. Justify means to be made right with God. It's a pronouncement not made by you and I. It's a pronouncement made by God. He is the one that justifies. He's the one that makes us right with God. If it were up to me and what I thought of myself in failure, I would be in with God one day and out the next. It's God who justifies. He makes the pronouncement. He has declared us righteous, not because of what we have or haven't done. Not because we had a better day today than yesterday. Or we're somehow able to keep the rules. Our righteousness is solely based on our faith in the performance of Jesus Christ. It's his righteousness that's been given to us. His perfect righteousness. I love these scriptures, 1 Peter 3, 18. The righteous died for the unrighteous to bring us to God. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What an important truth. We're no longer condemned as a Christ follower. In fact, the Apostle Paul begins chapter 8 by saying, there is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He's going to press this point home, though. Romans 8, 34, he says, Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, also interceding for us. Now, it's interesting. 
That word interceding is also a courtroom term. It refers to the word of a defense attorney or an advocate in court. I grew up in Billings, Montana. Anybody from Billings or from Montana? No Montana. I heard kind of a Montana voice singing over here though this morning. (laughs) I, I connected with that. It actually took me home. I almost didn't come back. Oh, there you go. There you go. I love Nebraska too. Very good. Well, I grew up in Billings, Montana. And um, I went to a junior high school called Lewis and Clark Junior High School. Um, Lewis and Clark weren't weren't my classmates. Just want you to know that. (laughs) It was a big school. And in those days, bullying was just a common occurrence. And uh, in fact, there was fist fights in school and after school, very common. And in fact, if there was gonna be a fight after school, that news would just travel through the school and everybody would show up and then after a few minutes, the cops would roll in and the crowd would all scatter. There was a student in our school named Jay Johnson, tall, slender, tough as nails. He had the reputation of being the toughest kid in the school. And you know, if you have that reputation of being the toughest kid, you're gonna have to defend that title again and again. And Jay had to defend that title several times. I got to know Jay because we both worked together in the school cafeteria. We became friends. He would often invite me to his fights and then uh, he would always add this. Yeah, he would. He, he, <laughs> And of course, I love going. I, that's just a little violent streak. But he'd always say this. He goes, now, Bryce, if anyone else steps in, you're going to step in and, and help me, aren't you? And of course, I'd go, yeah. And it's like, yeah, right. I'm, I'm a big fighter. One day, I'm standing in the hallway. A kid comes up to me and starts bullying. Hopefully I'm back. There we go. It's a miracle. (laughs) A miracle happened right here today. Okay. (laughs) So I'm in the hallway and this kid comes up. He starts bullying. He wants to fight. And suddenly there was a voice that brought a warning. Another student said, you better leave him alone. He's a friend of Jay Johnson's. Wow. The bully immediately backed down and I had never felt so glad to know Jay Johnson. (laughs) battery deal? Is it my battery or is it this battery? No, just kidding. Um, Jay Johnson, that name carried all the reputation that had gone before, all his accomplishments. I was going to say this about Jay Johnson. This is a crazy thing. Um, He had such a reputation that they were asking him, we can do this all morning. No, (laughs) There were actually kids that would come from high school to fight Jay Johnson. Is that weird or what? <laughs> high school students coming to the junior high. Should we try some new batteries? Let's try it. Okay. Yeah. 
Testing. Oh, there we are. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thanks for uh, bearing with us there. A little technical difficulties. Where were we now? Jay Johnson. Yeah. You guys are right there. I bet you wish you were a friend of Jay Johnson. Yeah. But it's so cool to think back and go, you know, that was my defense. Just the name Jay Johnson. And so it is with Christ. He intercedes as our defense, our advocate, our friend. And he continues to plead our case before the Father. He intercedes, he prays for us, and he defends us with his record. I imagine these words, they belong to me. They're mine, they're forgiven. They are righteous through my shed blood on the cross. And Jesus is your defense. Jesus is your advocate. And just think of this. This is an interesting thought. Think about those times when you're facing temptation. When you're in a spiritual battle, when you are facing discouragement. Have you ever stopped to think that right at that moment, Jesus is interceding for you on your behalf before the throne? When you're fighting the battle so intensely, there's somebody fighting intensely for you. Wow. Unchanging commitment number two, because Christ is my defense, no one can bring a charge against me. That's good news. That's good news. Don't listen to the voice of condemnation. Listen to the voice of conviction, but not condemnation. Paul goes on. This is the last section here, Romans 8, 35. But now that I have new batteries, I can go for another <laughs> couple hours. That's cool. We're going to go through the end of Romans this morning. Yeah. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written... For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. You know, it would appear that the Apostle Paul is looking back over his years of ministry, this trail of trouble and hardships and persecution and famine and all these things. But he'd never want you to feel sorry for him. In fact, early Christians considered a privilege to suffer for Christ. Paul knew he was in the will of God. He knew that he had not been promised a comfortable life at all. In fact, quote, he quotes from Psalm 44, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. What's he saying? In the world's eyes, the Christian is really seen as a disposable commodity, like a bunch of sheep going to slaughter. But that's not how God looks at you and I. In fact, he says in verse 37, No, in all these things you are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You are more than conquerors. You know that word conqueror, the root word is Nike. So when you put on your Nikes to go for that run, you are going out to conquer. Now Adidas means exhausted. I made that up. That's not true. <laughs> You're not just a Nike. You are a super Nike. You are a super conqueror in Jesus Christ. And then I love where Paul takes this conversation. 
Now, I grade papers. I get so irritated with run-on sentences. But you know, Paul's run-on sentence here is a beautiful thing. It's one of the loveliest sentences in the scriptures. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. That's a load. That covers it, right? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Paul's not speaking with any insecurity whatsoever. He's absolutely convinced, and he has staked his life on the most secure and unchanging realities of God. We are deeply and inseparably loved by him. Unchanging commitment, number three, because God is eternally committed to me, nothing can or ever will separate me from his love. I don't know, when I go into a new year, I think a lot of times I, I, I'm not a resolution guy, but I love, it, it kind of marks a, a new start, a new beginning. And often I look at my spiritual life and I'd say, you know, what do I want to challenge myself with in this next year? And I'd say for a number of years, it was kind of the standard, um, you know, in this next year, God, may I love you more and serve you even more faithfully and live with you more closely. One year I was reading some scripture, and I don't even remember what the scripture was I was reading, but I, f I felt impressed to pray a whole different way as I entered into a new year. Here's my new prayer. God, may in this next year, may I discover in a deeper and greater way how much you truly love me. That's transforming. To really understand the love of God, how much he truly loves us. A greater revelation of a love that we can never even understand the full the full demonstration. We understand a part of it, but not fully and completely all of it. But God continues to give us increasing understanding, not only in knowledge, but in experience, how much he truly loves us. And you know, um, I think it's so cool to pray that way. And it's even biblical. <laughs> Paul prays for the Ephesian believers that they may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, more than just a head knowledge, but to know deeply in our hearts that God loves us. That's a transforming truth. That will make a better you because that will change you from the inside. God is unchanging in his commitment to you and me. I hope you're reminded of this over and over. He's totally for you. Ultimately, nothing can stand against you. You're no longer condemned. You stand in the righteousness of Jesus. Don't follow the lies of the enemy. And you are more than a conqueror. You are a super Nike. And you can truly rest in the abundant and inseparable and unconditional love of God.
He's got you. I'd love to pray for you. Father, thank you so much for these amazing truths from your word. Lord, I thank you so much that you are committed to us and you are so faithful even when we find ourselves faithless, you remain faithful still. And Lord, I pray that we would be so impressed to reflect on your love and to receive your love and to know continually that we are deeply, deeply loved by you. May that transform us. May that change us by your spirit. So we thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen.